Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. Before we start today's podcast, if you're looking for surfing and outdoor gear, look no further. Go to Northcourt on the internet and use the discount code, capital letters, GRUMPYSURFER15 to receive 15% off your purchase. Northcourt are one of the leading surfing hardware brands in my eyes for the quality of product they create, so don't miss out. Also, before we start, the WaveKey guys have given us a discount code. So if you want 10% off your WaveKey subscription, use the code, capital letters, one word, WaveKeyGrump to receive 10% off your subscription. And this is valid until the 1st of July, 2021. So if you want 10% off your WaveKey subscription, use the code, capital letters, WaveKeyGrump to receive 10% off your subscription. My guest today grew up with one of the surfing world's most famous icons as a father, the great Nat Young. He and his siblings were all riding waves long before they could actually swim. The ocean and the beach were definitely a way of life for his whole family. Following in his father's footsteps, my guest became a longboard world champion in 2000 and then again in 2003, beating Joel Tudor on both occasions. Then in 2003, decided to retire from professional surfing and pursue a music career, which his debut album, Waves of Change, reached number 10 in the Australian music chart. After his second album in 2008, One Step at a Time, he decided to focus on his free surfing and surfboard shaping career, which is what he's doing today. So please enjoy my conversation with the great Bo Young. I'm good. I had a day of running around with surfboards, pretty much. But um, we had we had pretty big floods here. Like uh, you've probably seen in the news. And um, yeah, not long ago we had fires, and my dad lost his bloody farmhouse. And so it's been a bit wild. But good old Australia, we always seem to peak with the global warming stuff a bit. It's crazy, isn't it? I remember watching the the big fires in America as well a few years ago that just decimated Northern California pretty much. It was a, it's a pretty rad time, that like. Full on, yeah. Two days ago, there were houses going down streets and all sorts over here, but it is what it is. Hopefully, um, it all comes back to people using green energy, ideally. At least in the UK, I mean, I know it's nothing compared to the military and flying to the moon, but um, at least the UK, it's on the radar which is awesome. But the thing is, though, it's changing people's mindsets, isn't it, really? And and trying to change people's minds to get away from plastics and, you know, fossil fuels fuels and all that sort of thing to, to stop all the ozone layer breaking down and stuff. It's, it's, it's quite difficult. And it's all to do, unfortunately, it's all to do with wealth as well. It's hard not to get into politics these days, but our guy here is um, definitely getting a few kickbacks when it comes to the old fossil fuels. fuels. Where are you at the moment and uh, have you been surfing today? Yes, I'm on a little I'm on a little 10-acre property. I guess you'd call it a, a hobby farm, just inland of a place called Brunswick Heads on the far north coast of New South Wales. Um, most people know where Byron Bay is, so I'm, I'm about 25 minutes north of there. Um, thankfully, just out of that bubble, I just go in there to have a quick surf and get out these days because it's... It's like a little city, but, um, and I like the countryside. So, and yeah, I was up, up early and had a quick surf, a little bit higher tide, but I mean, it was, it was really nice in, 
um, surprisingly blue water after all the floods we've had. And yeah, just thankful to, to do it any chance I can get really. Always been that way. Any chance. <laughs> I've I've seen a couple of little uh, edits that have been thrown up over the last like week or so. Um, you surfing like a little leg, and you got there was some really nice little barrel footage that was on there. Yeah, yeah. There's surprisingly little corners you can still find without the um, without the populace. Actually, that particular wave, it's you know literally 12 minutes from my house, and it can get honestly get like small Puerto Escondido, like really beautiful beach break, quite round and hollow pretty special you know um yeah i feel really lucky that i can still find it's a really really long beach so you can always find a wave to yourself pretty much um and you know having just come from uh five months in the uk i like that about over there as well it seems like you have enough spots that you can always find a little a little corner which i think if that remains in surfing it's pretty great you know because you know there's so many surfers now and obviously the population of the world's not going down, but for most of us surfers, it's a, it's a, it's the place we can go to find ourselves there with a couple of friends or, or individually to, you know, bring that to land and communicate one surfer to another or, or to, or to the people who haven't surfed. Hopefully it um, makes us better people. I think that's probably with that ionization and going under a few waves gives you ideally, ultimately, I think if we can still find that, then, do you find yourself doing that a lot more now is trying to find those places where there aren't so many crowds about? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a typical example of, I'm, I'm quite sort of like a, a, not a soulful, that's the wrong word. I'm quite an individual person and I like my own space. So even if I, it's, it's quite difficult where I, where I surf around here in, in North Devon um, because a, a lot of the good breaks are, are really, really popular. But when I do find I go out and there are crowds there, which the majority of the time they are, I'm always like trying to find those little holes where people aren't sitting and trying to get away. Do you try? Do you, do you see yourself just trying to get away from that more and more now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I feel as though I've been that from my very early twenties. I've always, um, I've always found that aspect of surfing. You know, where I don't know what it does. But, you know, there's so many ways you can you can take it as a sport or a communion with nature is, is the way I love to look at it. Um, it's, it's beyond me, like just how much it, it can give. Um, and I'm completely with you. I, yeah. From my early twenties, I think I've been quite happy to surf, you know, as the legendary surfer George Greeno says to surf the B grade waves or the C grade waves or the D grade waves the it's it's the act of doing it you know that um i mean how many things can you do in life these days for free like let's be honest to catch a form of energy that's come from so far out at sea and surf and ride and glide on that thing it's just still beyond me it really is so yeah i'm with you i i i tend not to surf any of the really well-known waves and and if i do it's when they're barely surfable for most people. I mean, I'll jump on a longboard when it's half a foot. And, and you know, for example, Kira, which is only, I don't know, 40 minutes up, up the road, really. Like, you won't catch me there if it's five to six foot. I'll be surfing an empty beach break where you can find a, a secluded peak to yourself. Um, 
But if, if I know that Kira is going to be half a foot where your average surfer wouldn't even bother, I'm, I'm out there with bells on. You know, for me, it's, I don't really have that, that fortune of, I live by basically about an hour away from everywhere. So where you were here in the UK, when you were down in, um, down in Wembury, yeah. I, I live about an hour away from there. So, you know, an hour in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, if you look at the size of Australia, America, or like, you know, the big continents, it's not really that great, I know. but it, it's, it's quite, it's quite admin to get there if I'm perfectly honest. Yeah. So, I'm kind of a little bit the opposite where I'm looking at the forecasts. I'm always looking at the swells and the, the swell direction and the wind direction and the tides. And I try and make those decisions to go when it's good to, to try and find the spots that people wouldn't necessarily make the effort to go to, but it's still yeah. going to be good, but it's quite difficult, you know, sometimes. Yeah. I, yeah. I definitely, I don't go to the worst waves. I definitely, um, try and source out, you know, even if it's on the same stretch of beach, I try and find a similar wave that might be as great, but you're still getting that. You're still getting the, the wave somewhat, you know. But, I mean, I remember when I was living on, <clears throat> on my father's farm in my mid-20s, basically an hour inland of the sea, I'd wake up early. I mean, obviously petrol prices and stuff have all changed now, but um, I'd drive an hour to the beach, early and surf relatively well basically very quiet waves and then drive back every day and and, and I never it, it didn't bother me because I just um I mean it's like I've definitely got my vices coffee being one of them and um surfing so much stronger than that it's so much more addictive like I can kick any habit but I, catching a few waves I cannot and I will not like you know if I was to lose limbs, I would still, you know, those people that have been through such in, incredible things and still find the ocean at the other end, you know, um, a friend of mine's partner um, in Sydney, um, they've just done a Hollywood movie on her and um, she's like adaptive surfing champion. Um, just like, I don't know, against all odds really, you know, to, to you never lose that. That, that sensation you know be it be it prone standing on your knees it's just that that contact you know yeah I think it goes back to what you were talking about before about just being in the ocean and I've talked about this before on the podcast I read a I read a book um, about a year ago called The Blue Mind and it was talking about how as as human beings you're, you're drawn to the ocean why we set up coastal towns you know we've got naval ports fisheries and all that sort of thing yeah i mean using australia as an example of that most of your towns and cities are not inland they're, they're all on the coastal areas mm. and it's talking about why why people are drawn to it when you go on holiday people want to go buy a swimming pool or or, or down to the sea mm. and you know subconsciously maybe they're just thinking the water is a place for getting away, whether it's like you say, going into the sea or even going into a swimming pool, just to have that water moving over your ocean somehow is like the therapeutic thing. So when you have people that have issues, you know, whether they've lost limbs or they're, they're born with it or they have any sort of mental issues, yeah. it's always like a calming thing for them. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a, a really kind of good way of looking at things. 
yeah, I've only done it a few times. I want to do it more, but working with the Disabled Surfing Association, it's just like the best, like to be there with them because, you know, obviously you're also in the water. And it can take a few of you to hold one of them on a board and to and you kind of have to, you, you kind of, um, you basically go tandem with them quite often um, due to their, 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 you know, their abilities. Um, and it's just, just to see their smile, you know, and just, yeah, I mean, it's a funny one, like in the, as surfers, we want less people doing it, but, you know, for a lot of us, it's how we make our living. And it's also just when would you ever, ever deny any other human animal what have you from being able to experience what we get to experience. You like it's the kind of thing shout out from the rooftops, you know, surfing's life changing. Definitely a good point of view on it. Going back to what you were talking about before, so you know, can you just explain a little bit what you were what you were doing in here in the UK? because uh, you were here for what, what, four or five months and you were here with your daughter as well, weren't you? I was, yeah. Um so my partner Sam and I we split um just when COVID was really really starting. So Sam and Ava, they went back to the UK. Obviously, Sam, not, not, not long out of pregnancy, wanted, wanted to be near a family. Um, and, you know, we just had bushfires here. There was a, so many things going on at once. It was a um, crazy time period, really. And um, my aim was always to get to the UK as soon as I could uh, to see Ava. Um, you know, I never want to miss a birthday. I... All my life, I've wanted to be a parent and being a dad is like, you know, that whole only a surfer knows a feeling. It's kind of like the only parent, like it's beyond me. Like I saw that you were talking to Ben the other week and, and you know, he is a great dad and um, Lucas is doing awesome. And I just, it's like, um, like, for example, being on this property, like I still can't believe I'm here because I just feel like I'm in the, like I just, don't know how the heck I'm here because I'm in, I'm in love with this little farm. I get to shape here. I live in a barn. Life's pretty cruisy, you know. But whenever I see Ava, it's like that thing. Like I just can, like it, um, it's beyond my comprehension that I've got a beautiful little girl and I got to, you know, such a pivotal time, like between 18 months and two years old, where she's starting to formulate little sentences. She's, um, like a little mimic, you know, you say a word and she, she does her best to repeat it, just way cuter, you know, and it's just, um, just the best thing ever. Like I, I, I didn't know, you know, being 46 now, I, I, I didn't realize I was going to get to be a dad and, um, I'm just so thankful. Like I'll be in the UK for sure every year for six months and we'll see what happens with Sam and I, like you never know, never discount anything. But yeah, that's the situation right now. And, you know, like I'll be talking to Ava after we speak now. She wants to tell her dada she she loves me every day via FaceTime. I'm not with her, which for me is just, I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I'm a parent. Mate, you, you turn, you're turning the heartstrings in my chest because I'm, I'm very similar, even though, you know, I'm not, you know, like you um, in Australia and, and you, your kids elsewhere, but... You know, being in the military, mm. a lot of the time you're away 
or you're traveling or you know you're doing something away from your from your home base yeah and you know even for me i i live i live an hour away from where i work yeah occasionally i stay here every now and again and even though i'm you know not that far away my missus is sending me texts of picking the kids up from school and stuff and, I, and i'm not at home yeah. and I, it just makes me like oh, i just drive home but but it's like you can feel that um what's the word it's it's like a magnet isn't it it's like you, you can feel it pulling you so you know you must be the same after you get off the phone to to your daughter you're like oh you can feel that it's really hard to explain i can't put it into words i'm not very good with words anyway but yeah yeah i, yeah, I, I, f I feel you big time yeah i just um especially when it was like you know being an older parent just not realizing it was not thinking for some time it was going to happen and then just to you know to have, it's a big part of of us isn't it our, our children like it's just like the next the next phase of our being is in them so it's like so cool and you know just trying you know through generational just trying to be i mean my parents are amazing but, but trying to do your best as a parent and, and instill the right you know the right thinking with your child and all those things it's it's awesome talking about your parents can we just talk a little bit about you know where you grew up yeah how you grew up because your your dad is one of them probably one of the most influential people one of the influential people within the whole of the surfing world can you just explain like you know what it was like growing up and where you grew up so i grew up i was i was born at my father's farm um inland from the coast as i was saying about an hour um country big property mountainous a lot of trees um they were still building like i was like we were living in a tent for the first six months or so until the, the place was built. And that's why it's so sad that it went with the bushfires. There's a lot of history there. It's just like a giant hippie palace in the middle of nowhere, basically. Yeah, mum and dad couldn't make their relationship work. They're, they're both from Sydney. So when, when I was a couple of years old and my sister as well, we moved back to Sydney. Basically, basically grew up in Sydney with, with my mum, mainly. And then um, my dad and my stepmom, they went north to Angari in that area. And I, as soon as my schooling was done, I headed straight north, really. That's why I'm here now. I just, you know, obviously um, growing up with my dad being the way he is, like I, I knew of Morning of the Earth um, and that country soul feeling of the of the early set early to mid 70s that um my dad and a group of his friends all went through um always was a big draw card for me you know living on the land growing growing your own food um and yeah i never really like it's funny like there's two sides to my dad for me obviously there's the father side um you know he's, he's like one of my best friends always has been and then the other side is the surf star, I guess, like the guy that um, with a couple of his other friends turned the history of surfing on its head. Um, you know, it's still my favourite longboard surfing ever by any individual. And this is, this is seeing my dad not as, not as his son. This is seeing him as a, someone that's, that loves surfing. 
and um, studies the intricacies and things like that. The surfing of my dad in 1966 um, was so much more than trailblazing. Like I've never seen longboarding like it where you stamp on that tail and the board stops on the spot and then you hang in 10 in the hook and you, I mean, they call it the involvement period for a reason, but it's like where you are completely immersed in the pocket and you, you don't stray from the pocket and, and everything's about that power source. My dad's surfing that time just exempl you know, exemplified that. And then obviously my dad with Greeno and, and Bob McTavish, they um pretty amazing trio, did some incredible things like a I love Uncle George and he's, he's all of our uncles. You know, he's always there to talk to people about, you know, he'll just talk your ear off about theories and um, hydrodynamics and why, why he made this hull a certain way and different aspects and he really um, breaks things down. Um, he's, he's a genius for sure. And like I just, you know, and then obviously the revival of the longboard thing. My dad was a big part of that in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, some of the single things he was riding mid seventies, incredible um, surfing always, you know, the pintail surfing where it was basically the same short, tight arcs that he was doing on a longboard, but on a six, eight pintail, hand shaped, hand foil thin. You know, I'm saying hand shaped doesn't mean off a computer plug, it means a block of phone, plain as rasps, um, incredible. You know, and that's why I still handshape quite a few boards today. You know, I, I don't want to lose that art um, because that's, I think it's just important, you know, if, you know, if kids can learn that. Like I've got a friend that's been wanting to come out and handshape a longboard for weeks now and um, got to have him out because it's just, it's a process of elimination got the blank whittle it to thickness draw your outline on then blah 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 just kick your curves in blah 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 there's just so many layers to it and it's so much so much more work but for me the best boards I've had personally have been full hand shapes you know something about that I mean I I, st I, I get incredible um pre-shapes too but there's something about the handshake ones for me that work um, what are your thoughts on the new technologies that are coming through so you know you touched on a little bit where some of the blanks are, are machine shaped and then sanded down and then laminated and resined and stuff just to fin just to finish them off mm -hmm. i mean what are your thoughts on that are you against it or are you just thinking that it's maybe just the involvement of where the where surfing's going I'm, I'm not against anything. Honestly, like I had a few waves on um, Ben's board at St Agnes, um, I don't know, two and a half months ago. And it just locked in insane on the nose. It was awesome. No, I've never, I've never had any issues with, I mean, we're talking now on technology, you know, like, and I'm, I'm hopeless with tech. But, um, you know, I... Yeah, I think there's room for all kinds of, I think it's the same as my thinking with surfcraft. It has been for such a long time now, you know, before it was, before it was the done thing, I always thought there was room for, you know, a Steve Liss fish or, you know, a funny looking board. 
called a wombat that was a combination of Wayne Lynch's, Ted Spencer's style of boards from the early 70s. Like, I, you know, I think there's room for everything and I think that, that their general surfing population are, are, are onto that now and it's great because we're all unique, we're all in, individual. Um, and, yeah, I think the technology is cool, really cool. Um, for me, the biggest one is um, environmental technology. I think that obviously flax and um, compostable surfboard blanks, things like that are um, probably at the top of the list. I think that's, you know, I, and I think that takes people with, with money to throw at it who really want to do the right thing and, and not just throwing it out as a, as greenwash. You know, I don't think, I don't really think that's the greatest just to say, oh, yeah this is environmental when it's really no different from something else. I don't think that's ethical, but I do think that there is room for companies that really want to champion that. And in the same breath, you know, I, I do my high end boards and I work with a company here in Australia who do cheaper boards. I just, I, I like bringing it back to the whole, every surfer deserves to, every, everyone deserves to surf. It's like not everyone can afford one of my boards that they can get a cheaper alternative and have just as much fun and so I feel that way about technology about the price of boards all those things I just think there's room for everyone and um but I think yeah you know I think the biggest one would be major envi environmental changes within, within surfboards I think that's long overdue and I Obviously, the exterior is, is a massive one, like to create a really hard shell like that and, and, and not use toxins in the process. I don't know how that's doable. Um, you know, obviously, there's liars and things like that, but you want, you know, like you want form and function. For me, like, I, you know, I, I would like to ride what I ride, but knowing that it's not, a complete landfill nightmare. When you're talking about consumerism and if we just use food for an example, to eat healthy is really quite expensive, which is counterproductive in my opinion. You know, why is the healthy stuff more expensive than buying a bag of frozen chips or fries or, you know, chicken nuggets or something like that that's mass produced? Yeah. Surely having you know, fresh vegetables that come from a local farm. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. When you've got big cities like London or Exeter or Sydney or places like that, yeah. it is quite difficult because you're talking about mass farming then. And it, it, it's just, it's not consumer savvy. But trying to change that to make the more healthy stuff more user-friendly by having it a little bit cheaper would change people's lives a little bit more. And when you're talking about surfboards and, and, and making them more, you know, landfill friendly and, you know, if, if they do snap, which, you know, inevitably boards do break and people get rid of them, yeah. you know, they can decompose in a certain way. It's really difficult to try and find the, find the fine line with it. And I know a few people that are trying to find, evolve eco-friendly boards here in the UK as well. And it, and it's 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 kind of like a sticking point, isn't it? Really, because you know the surfer's lifestyle is all about the environment. However, the thing that you ride in the ocean, it couldn't be anything further from the truth, right? Isn't it crazy? I know, and I mean, I like we're having this great chat about you know, entering an incredible natural domain, and then 
after I've been lucky to do that, I put on my Tyvek suit and my full face mask. I, I shape with gloves on because I don't want to be having my having it go through my pores, all those aspects. And, it, you know, as Wayne Lynch said, you know, it's a toxic industry. And, um, you know, Lord knows there's enough really, really highly, you know, highly wealthy surfers these days that have made their billions or hundreds of millions from surfing. And um, they're in a position to give back to all of us, not just us, the sea, obviously. Because, I mean, we'll buy them if they're making them. And if it's protocol, just like, you know, the UK and, and what the plan is in the future with cars much earlier than Australia because we live in such a gorgeous country, but our politicians are so in the dark ages. Um, it's saddening. And, and you, know, you would assume within surfing that there would have been people throwing a ton of money at this and it would become statutory. Let's bring the conversation level up a bit because it's going quite into a morbid situation here, I think. Uh, what, what, sort of, uh, what sort of boards are you riding at the moment and, and what are like your favourite designs that, you're, that you've ridden in the past? Yeah, um, so I've got a little board <clears throat> called the Pod and it's a 5A, you'd call it an egg, I guess. Um, it has a deep single concave to a slight double concave. And it's got these really large, quite raked, highly flexible fins. And I, I was always of the, the Mark Richards, quite straight up, not much flex in the fin. I always loved twin fins like that. But then I got on this thing and my dad always used to talk about the, the loading up of the fin principle. So if you've imagined two highly flexible, large twin fins, with all that speed from the concave on a very wide, short machine, you generate with, with not a lot of a rocker, you're generating immense speed quick. And um, you come off the bottom and there's, they're, they're not splayed, there's no, there's no angle. So they're, they're vertically upright. So you have immediate engagement through your turn, but then you've got the kick and the twang of that flex. So you just, just on like, and that revolutionized my, my, my whole, like that completely really sparked my love of surfing that little board. So I, I like that thing because, um, you know what you want to do, but you know, at the same time, you got to hang on, which is really cool. You know, <laughs> um, even through the flats, like you're on, you're on, um, and it's quite a, um, it's a very knifey down rail, like it's super 70s kind of, you know, that kind of thing. So you've essentially got a third fin there on the rail every time you go rail to rail because it's not round, it's not forgiving, it's just bitey, you know. So I'm loving the pod or that's the official name of the podler diet. And then, which for no apparent reason, really, um, and then what else am I loving? I'm loving, um, so I've got a pendulum model, which is basically my, my, my ode to Donald Takayama and, um, you know, God rest his soul, like Diane Takayama, pretty sure she knows I'm making them anyway, but she'd be over the moon. So, but basically from having ridden a Model T a lot, I really like aspects of it, but I also, and Ben's done it 
a bit in his board is the is the beveled rail, beveling that nose and having a deep concave. So you've got all these cornices that are basically, if you're in a hollow two-foot bowl, you've got all these things that are just locking you in. If you're willing, it's a bit like the pod as a short board, but as a long board, if you're willing to hang with that at max speed, it's not going to give out on you, especially if you've got an 11 and a half inch rounded D fin, it's not coming out, you know? So it's just like, you got to be ready to lock in. And then also the other aspect I like of a D fin is um, the vertical uprightness where it's just, um, just like, I guess just like the way those twin, the, the fins in the pod are immediate engagement. When you've got a big ass fin that um, is really quite upright, it just, it, it, it reacts to how your body's reacting. Yeah, so they're probably my, my two favourites right now. The resurgence of what you would call retro boards, but they're not really because everything in life is in cycles, isn't it? And and twin fins and mid-lengths, they're, they're all coming back. They never really went away. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I've had a uh, I had a Jednol uh, twenty, what a little nice five part. eight thing that is, yeah, and it absolutely flies. But it's it's like you were saying, it's really really flat. And I whacked a couple of just mega randomly. I never changed the fin setup. I the fins that I got with it, you know, stayed the same for about ten years. Yeah, and I whacked some uh, Mark Richards FCS fins in, so they're re- they're really big fins. Um, and, and they're quite tall and the drive it gave it I was like that oh my god and the speed and it's almost like and I never really thought about it before until I started doing these podcasts and talking to different people and shapers fins are almost an, another surfboard within a surfboard and it's it's amazing how much it can change by just altering that setup it's crazy yeah it, they're they're just as important as the board Without a doubt, like coming back to those MR fins, gee, the guy just nailed it with that one template, didn't he? Like just oh. hit it out of the park. Yeah, and it's like evolutionized everything. And like I saying, it comes in circles. It it really hasn't it hasn't really gone away at all. It's still been on the underlayer of everything. You know, when you've got the emergence of the sort of like the shorter, thinner railed, thinner boards that came out in the nineties, you know, with Slater and all them guys surfing them toothpicks that really weren't fit for purpose. It was just kind of like the fashion at the time. Yeah. You know, everything's gone full circle now. And you've got people like Gabriel Medina, for instance. I, I listened to an interview with him. And he was saying that he serves with loads more volume. It's just hidden um, within the within the board shape itself. And you know, you look at what he's riding. You know, no way. But it's like it's almost like a thirty liter board that he's riding. And you're like, you know, this sort of stuff hasn't gone away. Like I was saying, it, it's always been there. Um, and, and I think people are starting to realize that a little bit more with social media and, you know, the ability to search for different things and listen to things like this, you know, me talking to you and you talking about board shapes and stuff. I, I think that's just revolutionizing surfing, if you want to call it a sport as such. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the things those guys do in the air, it's like you've got to have a little bit of tail width in there to get the projection to do that. Obviously, they've got incredible technique and all the, <laughs> yeah. all the, obviously you know like your Italo's, Gabrielle's, whoever else but also even just widening those tails of hair and and whatnot yeah I think that you know definitely is amplifying what they're doing you know as well 
you know, obviously they're, they're like springs anyway, but any, any, any edge they can get. Let's talk a little bit about your, your competitive career, because without going through loads and loads of details, you, you won the world longboarding tour, didn't you? In 2000 and 2003. Yeah. Um, you know, you got into, I think it's kind of a, I keep talking about evolution and an involvement of your surfing is, you know, naturally to go into competing. Anyone that loves it will, will try something like that. Have you always had a competitive spirit to, to do that? Or did you just kind of fall into it? I think, you know, like my dad, when I was early teens, he'd have pro surfers that were in town um, going to the Coke Classic or whatever they were doing. I, I mean, I was always inspired by the beautiful surfing of Tom Curran or whoever it may be. And, and you know, growing up in Sydney, there was Martin Potter, Barton Lynch, Tom Carroll. The list goes on really at that point in time down there. Um, I was just always, I think it's like anything, you know, like if you truly love it, you just want to better yourself at it, be it guitar, staying fit, um, whatever it may be, you want to better yourself. And I didn't really know there was another option. Like, well, there wasn't another option really. Like if you're going to try and make a living out of surfing, which still to this day is kind of ridiculous, really. There's so many surfers on the planet. I think it all stems from that love of it. And then when you fall in love with it, you like at a personal level, I always wanted to get better. And, you know, like a, for example, ping pong, like myself and Joel Tudor, for example, like major battles on the ping pong table, just purely because it's, um, it's just trying to, I, I like that aspect where you're trying to really break stuff down and on a longboard, it's footwork, um, it's all about positioning. Same with a, with a ping pong bat and ball. It's about um, getting your angles and doing things to extreme. And also there's that element where you're growing through it and you don't, you're like, I don't even know if I could ever really surf like that. But then you go out when it's horrible and you go out when it's really good and you just keep going and you, you, you never not go out. You know, unbeknownst to you, you're becoming more attached to nature at the same time, which is the cool aspect of surfing because it was like by the time I just achieved that thing that it's like, I oh, should, you know, it'd be amazing to do that, not ever thinking I would achieve the competitive, you know, goal. But when you when I did, I was I was already kind of done. Like the second time I, I quit before those, that last event, I told my sponsors I'm done. I don't care if I come ninth or first. I never want to paddle out in another heat for money ever again against good close friends. That's not surfing to me and I don't want to do it. But it took, the only way I was making a living was by doing that initially. Um, and then it was cool that avenues opened up for people to be able to surf free, you know, on what they wanted, like, I want to drop down to my knees and get a kneeboard barrel. That's cool, but you're not going to get scored, are you? Um, and being scored is a certain thing and you have a criteria and you have boxes to tick, you know. It's like even seeing Ben Skinner the other day, I'm like, mate, you should win a whole bunch of world titles. But it doesn't, it's not the be all and end all, you know. Everyone knows how you surf. That's just a fucking, it's a thing. 
It's like the more joy you're getting from that, the better it comes as well. It's, it's an interesting like juxtaposition. It's like, sure, you put in the yards, but through that, if you're not getting the joy, you're not getting the benefit of, of that coming through anyway. It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting balance, I find. Obviously, some people are just some people just go competitor all the way. That's their deal. That's cool. That's that wasn't ever me. Like uh, it was always a it was always a hard one for me. I found. What was one of your or did you have any competitive rivalries? Did you find you know that you were always like I want to beat that guy regardless of what happens. Well, I mean, Joel Tudor and I were were best of friends for that period, but we really we were really close. Kind of different as individuals, really. At the end of the day, as it turns like as life goes on, it becomes more apparent. But I mean, um, I still love Joel, you know, and like his 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 surfing gift is just off the charts. But um, we always there was always something there because we're kind of almost like brothers, I guess. So it was always it was always a bit that way, and we had a few moments, um, a few falling outs that that went on for years over moves within competition. One of us didn't, one one of us didn't agree with. What friend doesn't fall out though? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I'd say there was that was, I mean, there was Bonga Perkins and and others, but I'd say Joel and I we had a bit of back and forth there for a bit for sure. What were your highlights of your entire time of competing and, and being on the tour as well? Do you have any a couple of ones that stick in mind? I would say so the last the last contest I did was at Raglan in New Zealand and my I think it was Dad's sixtieth, the night before the final. That sticks in my mind because Dad came over, but he knew I wasn't wasn't gonna do it anymore. Um, before that event and but the night before the final they had a massive, everyone just came from all, all the surfers came over for dad's 60th. And I was trying to sleep downstairs and it was just chaos. <laughs> it was chaos upstairs, absolute chaos. Got literally no sleep. And then it was me and Joel on the finals on a left. So I was like, you know, but that was, that was pretty special having dad there and, you know, being long, you know, riding a longboard. Um, it's, it's where he began. So to be doing that and to have to have him there was cool. That was, and also you know it was um, cold, windy, really elemental. I mean that's what I like about the UK is is that aspect. It makes you realise you. I, I like the elements like that. I think it really takes you there and makes it makes you feel alive. And it being so natural there, like with with that with the howling wind and just the beautiful scenery itself kind of like home. Uh, so I think that combined with my dad being there and it being the last one I was going to do and knowing that there's a whole combination of things, like there's the relief of never having to do it again, but also shit, you know, that worked out and um, could have gone better at the end and all that. So it was just interesting. Yeah, that was, that was that, but that was, um, that was nice because it was pretty country there, pretty country as far as the aesthetics of the land, but also the people. What are your thoughts on looking back now in hindsight? Surfing as a whole is really, I mean, you've got the soulful people and, and the people that are quite, almost use it as a religion. 
and then you've got people that compete and make make a living from it looking back on how surfing is turning out and changing and has changed over the years what's kind of your perspective on it now do you think competition is is a good and healthy thing to promote it but also the soulful side with all the traveling and stuff do you think it bodes well together or you know what are your thoughts on that i think as individuals there's there's got to be some takeaway spiritually you know going through waves and swirling around in nature there's got to be some takeaway of feeling fortunate within our own short lifetime to be able to do such a truly magnificent thing and i think I think it really doesn't matter if you want to focus on it competitively or spiritually. I don't think that matters. I think it's just, I think it's just being out there doing it. Like it doesn't matter if you like the competitors are usually just trying to better themselves. You know, they're just trying to better what they're doing, be it personal. I think ultimately it's a personal journey. I don't know what, um, competitors would say like because uh, like, I'm a bit removed from that I haven't been one for a long time but it's more personal achievement I think in, within yourself it's like shit I I'm, I feel like I'm surfing really well within myself and I think that can be beginner stage like I can't wait till my daughter's like I just rode away for five seconds like I hope I hope that occurs you know like that would be my everything you know because ultimately me for me that would mean she potentially becomes hooked and i think i think a takeaway for me is that whether you're a competitor or or not that you take the good out of it that that is is what it gives us um, i think i think holistically everybody is in their moment i call it a bubble they're just stuck doing what they're doing within that bubble at that time you know whether whether a competitor or they're just doing surfing their Saturday and Sunday surfers, you know, that they're just enjoying doing it. And whatever you're enjoying in that moment is probably what you need to concentrate on a little bit more. Yeah, me too. I also think that, you know, talking about a bubble as well, your environmental factors are very important in that as well, because Mm. I think everything needs to be lined up, your mental state, your physical state, even work and family comes into it a little bit as well because if those aren't, aren't all aligned up correctly you know we talked about surfing earlier about being like a mental health thing as well it all, it all factors in if i'm yeah. perfectly honest yeah it's it's interesting because like obviously there's people that are trying to make out like it's more sulfur than what it is for them and all that but whatever you know <laughs> it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter as long as i find it interesting because like I was like, I find it interesting because we can go there no matter what we're going through. So that's what makes it um, so interesting that, that you can go there and doesn't matter what mood the sea's in either, you know, it's cool. It's pretty bloody special. Like, and I, like I find no matter what I'm going through, you, you can't, it's uh, on a personal side. Like I've, I've, I can, I've never once come in and said that hasn't given me good ever, you know, ever, which I find really interesting. And obviously that's outlook. I guess you could come in and say that was a horrible surf and I didn't get any waves. And But I think you've taken it the wrong way if you come in like that, aren't you? Yeah, 100%. Perspectives is a, is a beautiful thing, right? <laughs> Talking about that, so you retired from professional surfing or, you know, competitive surfing in 2003 after you world that, won that world uh, championships in you started pursuing a musical career and you pushed out two albums 
waves of change and one step at a time yeah why why the change why the change of direction from you know competitive surfing or surfing as like a main almost like income to change into music music was definitely taking me away from wanting to surf competitively uh music's another interesting one because it really um you know the sound of a chord can take you so many places and to, to have a voice that also feels as though it's so many other people's opinions as well i think picking up the instrument and really starting to write just made it very solid in my mind that i didn't want to compete for it again and obviously yeah within music there's album sales there's all that stuff there's gold records whatever that's what you take away from it like once again and the writing process can be highly meditative yeah so that second album i literally did one gig because it was barely a release, you know, to friends in a packed out pub once. That was it. The late nights were really, it's a hard road. You've got to be up for it. You're almost, um, you're living in an alternate space compared to a surfer, to, a, to an early riser that does yoga. You really, you're in a different world. Like you wake up at 11, go to the next venue, do a sound check, maybe see the surf, probably on shore, probably won't go. <laughs> um but I still now more than ever, like I was, you know, Marky LaSalle's, um, Ben's good friend. Yes, he's, he's, I'm really close to him, but also close to his brother, Sean, and pretty heavily entrenched in music. And, and we did a fair bit of writing, producing over there. Like I haven't dropped the ball, you know, there's hundreds of songs there and they're all like little babies, you know, like each one's a little baby. They're so special, so dear, they're their own thing. And production values, great to give its own voice and its own life um yeah it's just really interesting like it's such an interesting medium you know obviously with a band you're riding a uh, you're riding a pretty incredible wave for three and a half four minutes whatever that is it's a different set on the next what on the next track a different shaped wave coming in but there's some major similarities between the two wave rides for sure and i just feel lucky to ride both of the energies really like i love it and you know it's the same you know i know it's pretty full in the uk right now there's barely any gigs in australia but um i love nothing more than you know watching going to a festival early and seeing someone on a one in the afternoon that they might be called the voice of africa and you're sitting there and there's only a hundred other people there and you're like they really are the voice of africa <laughs> this is astounding <laughs> you know and there's 200 people watching you like you know and you know speaking of cathedrals and like you're standing in the tent and you're, you're feeling it music's powerful as is the sea i think there's so many comparisons you can draw between surfing and music and i find it quite interesting that you used from an outsider looking the way you transitioned from going from being a, a top-end athlete competitive surfer to writing music it there's lots of very similar similarities because it's all very much stuck in the moment you know you're it's all about mental space and almost kind of an escapism to a certain extent because you're thinking about what you're writing or or, or producing music through chords and rhythm and riffs I, I don't know whether you ever looked at it that way before but from from my perspective it it's similar but it's not but you can see like why some people, I mean, like Donovan Frank, Frankenmitter, for instance, you know, surfer and, and, and he's, on, he's on the music bandwagon as well. 
there's so many similarities between his music and the way that he surfs it's all very rhythmical and flowing and yeah i could probably see why you transition from one to the other if i'm honest yeah the way the way you put it now it does make me realize some so obviously it's like during competitive phase i do weights and yoga like that was my combo and it's always like other people probably aren't doing that combo but it's all at the end goal so you've ridden and not even in the competitive not even wearing the singlet just i caught a wave today and it's through the time put in that i felt like i truly wasn't in my mind and i surfed that wave better than i have ever and when it comes to music it's like fuck just i've been sitting here for fucking four hours playing arpeggio coming up with the lyrics but it's only when you really get the arpeggiation down that you can feel free enough with guitar for lyrics to go through you, not from you. And you're like, I, I, that lyric's not even me. That's beyond me. That those, those, I don't know where those lyrics came, but they're so on point. But that's purely through dedication and love. Same shit. Same exact thing. Exactly like you're saying. It's kind of, um, it's kind of being completely on, but being completely away. It's like this weird combination that makes it right it's really cool it's it, it, but it's without the yards you don't truly become free you know but then you know if you also think about how music has evolved within surfing as well so you know you've got back in the day you know when we were growing up i mean you're six six years older than i am you know you had all the vhs's and the movies coming out and music was a very um poignant piece of movie making because it it, it made it made the environmental factor and the feel come out of that movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've got a couple of a couple of ones that were iconic for me with you in them specifically. You know, you had the end of the summer with you and your dad driving around with Pat O'Connell and uh, and and Wingnut, um, but also you know, single thing, single thing, yellow as well. I mean, single thing, yellow was a very mellow, you know, chilled, longboardy film where you know. Endless Summer had a bit of everything, you know, a bit of rock, it had a bit of jazz, you know, a bit of hipster stuff in. Yeah. Uh, and it's all to do with, you know, what we were just talking about there. It's all to do with how the intrinsicness of the music inputted into that, into the visual aspect as well, you know, for makes sure. that experience for people too. It's like when um, when Jason Buffer first sent, Jason Baffer, sorry, first sent me Singles in Yellow, and I saw that, white buffalo was singing on some to some of my surfing i was just so flawed like you know albie thousand with morning of the earth just hit it out of the park for that point in time and i think yeah jason did an incredible job with that film like it's so true it's so it's so intrinsic it's amazing you know i'd like to move on to talk a little bit about like your shaping as well so have you always shaped through your whole sort of like surfing career per se or your how i wouldn't even call it a career because you've been doing it since you know it was basically when you were born you know has it always been part of your evolution and and your involvement in it i still find it really challenging <laughs> um you're just constantly chasing shadows like it's it's beautiful though it's such a such an amazing thing to mold something to, to shape it into a craft and to get all the ideas in your mind onto that block of foam it's just still blows me out i thought something ben said to me a couple of weeks ago where he's i asked him about shaping and he said that he got straight into it and one of the boards that he he shaped he basically used straight away on the tour and it was amazing for him and i just thought 
you know, when when you listen to other stories about how people started surfing and how they started shaping and the boards that they surf, absolute shapes that absolutely sucked when they first started. I thought it was quite amazing, if I'm honest. Yeah, that is that is amazing. I mean, I'd love to say my first ten were amazing, but they weren't. <laughs> um, shaping's hard, but it, computers make life a lot easier. But it's still so much to a board, the way it, it moves and the way it reacts to the waves canvas yeah i just think it's 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 never ending like you know you see you know i hope i'm i hope me and i hope then with those old guys still tinkering away you know late 60s still pottering about and getting the right tool for the job and all that it's i don't know if ben really touched on it i'm sure he would have but that thing where you you know someone sends you an email and they want a board and they tell you their weight and they give you the vagaries of their ability and you're like okay, cool, and you have a whole bunch of emails back and forth, and then like it's, and then they tell you that it's like altered their whole surfing world, like they love it, and you're like, no way, I was part of that. Like a, a little bit of me helped facilitate their love and make them feel like they've got a magic board. Pretty incredible. That like that's, I guess it's, you know, that, that's what I enjoyed about music is that you can uplift people and make people feel good, and if you give someone a magic board like a the magic boards I've had off shapers over the years, you know, it's just so special. Like the, the magic ones are still in the rafters, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. I know you're friends with uh, with Luke Young as well. Yeah. He shaped me a board and yeah, it's pretty much what you just said there. I had a couple of conversations with it because, you know, we're quite friendly with each other and I sent him some pictures and demos that I wanted and he shaped this thing for me now that I've got in my car and I'm, I'm absolutely frothing to get on it to to give it a go. But he he made like a really poignant comment. He said, even though he's really, really busy, because he does everything himself at the moment, which being a branded, he's quite a big brand in the UK, if I'm perfectly honest. He he does everything himself and people don't realize that. They probably think he's got like a production line. But he said something very poignant to me. He said that when he makes boards for people, he's making them happiness. And I thought that was like a, a really good way of putting something. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, Luke's awesome. Like um, he really, he was so lovely to me and yeah, really talented shaper, lovely guy. Um, yeah, just really, really awesome. I loved getting to spend time with him. Didn't get to see him this last trip much because of everything that's going on. But yeah, he took me under his wing and let me, let me hang out up there and shape and just so knowledgeable. He's, he can shape anything so good yeah he's a quality guy mate a couple of things just yeah. to just to finish off with you because I, I know we've been on here for a while now what does the future hold for you at the moment and uh, when are you coming back to the uk so at the moment um i'm thinking about september i'm probably going to be coming back in september i'm not sure how how everything's going to going to go with with you know little, i think it's getting better in the uk with covid australia is really strict um, as far as like I a quarantine coming home, obviously, um, I don't know if I have to quarantine on the way over to the UK now or not, but I'll be back to the UK for at least five months, um, every year. Yeah. Which is going to be great. As far as where I'm at right now, just, um, yeah, keep, keep trying to expand as a shaper, tweak my own boards to make them like, I've always got ideas in my mind of what's going to work 
just slowly ironing through those to just make the boards I have better. Um, that's that's the goal. Musically, I'm really excited by that. I, I want to um, want to do another album or or five. There's a lot there. <laughs> so this day and age, I don't know. I guess just release them on Spotify or whatnot. It's a bit of a new world for me that one. I'd like to do the odd pub gig if pubs open up again. I used to do a lot where it was just me and my guitar. Love that. It's a bit like um, it's about as as raw as it gets when it's just you and a guitar. You need to get over and do some gigs here too. I would love to, mate. I really would. It's it's a funny one because um, it was a hard balance with the surfing, early starts and the and the late nights of music. But I think that's I think that's changed now. I think you can do afternoon pub gigs, and you know what I mean. Like I I, I just think that. Obviously, right now, things are all up in the air, but I think when things open up again, you know, I think those kind of beer garden, not to put it in the surf music box, but um, <laughs> I am a surfer, I guess. So, <laughs> But, yeah, it would be nice to it'd be nice to just to, to play with and for the people, you know, like um, that would be really cool. Um, scary. been a long time. It's like just me, me myself, playing to myself in a barn. <laughs> be nice to break, break out of that mould eventually. And, yeah, like I, I was wrapped that people were ordering boards when I was in the UK. That was really awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back. Can't wait to hold my daughter. You know, never know, might be able to play gigs starting next year or something. Shape, surf Devon and Cornwall and maybe go and see friends in Scotland and Wales. Who knows? You know, Ireland. Always wanted to go to Ireland. That would be on the list, I've got some good friends there. I'd, I'd love to get there. Nice. Yeah, I've not been to Ireland either. It's one of the places, one of the one of the few places in the UK I haven't been, and the northeast as well. I keep seeing lots of uh, lots of pictures being thrown up and video footage of the northeast, and it looks absolutely pumping. And uh, yeah, but I'm a creature of habit, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, oh, me too. Me too. But I think I think because the UK is so new to me, it'd be nice to um. Obviously, I got to balance it with daddy daughter time. Um, but you know, I would like to. Um, it's hard for me to even say half the names, so that's why I've got to go there and check them out. You know, <laughs> exactly. Mate. What I'd like to do is just finish yeah. on a quick fire round, if that's all right. Quick fire round, and I like saying yeah. this: there is never a quick fire round. <laughs> so, first so question. does that mean you go on? Keep it short. Are you say so keep it short. Hey, you do or... what you want. That's what I'm saying. Cool, <laughs> cool. So first question is, if you could surf one fin setup for the rest of your life, would it be a single fin, twin fin, thruster, bonzer, or finless? I took two plus one out because that was kind of cheating. Damn. Um, single fin. Favorite surfer and why? And you can't say your dad because that's cheating too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll go with Tom Curran just because I think he really bridged a lot of gaps between um, – between style and modern and, and always has. He's kind of undefinable, like his surf style. is could be eerless, I think, personally. Yeah, that's my personal one as well. First surf movie you ever watched? I think it was The Endless Summer, the original one. The last surf movie you've seen? Incredible film. Made of mine, Mick Waters did it. If you get a chance to see it, it's just phenomenal. Called Outdated Children. Oh, right, okay. I'll put that on the list. The last last question then, your dream surf trip. I would do it all over again <laughs> because it's just 
rehashing the dream surf trip I had with family for my sister's wedding in Sumba in Indonesia. She being a goofy foot would only get married on a left. Just around the corner, there was an amazing ride that myself and her future husband, my little brother and others got to surf. So if I could do it, if I, that was the dream, the dream trip. So I'd do that any day of the week again. Mate, I feel you. I got married in Sri Lanka, but the wave sucked the whole time I was there, so I couldn't surf. I was gutted. <laughs> oh, mate, that's a big one. Damn it. Bo Young, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Pleasure. And that's it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and follow on your podcast provider and maybe leave a little review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, search for The Grumpy Surfer Podcast. Thanks for listening.